Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. Thank you for tuning in. The clip we have for this program was recorded in 1972, and you can hear the passion in Dr. Stevens' voice about identification, Christ's identification, and the result of identifying with what God has identified with. I like what the Word of God says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 15, because it speaks of the trinity of the fellowship of God in the trinity of man with men and with man's triunity of essence in his individuality. Weep when they weep and rejoice when they rejoice. Be of the same mind one toward another. Be not high-minded. Condescend to men of low estate. Recompense no man evil for evil. Weep when they weep. Rejoice when they rejoice. And be of the same mind. That's what it means to have the Trinity of God totally monopolizing the triunity of man in a fellowship of essence in one. Let me share with you what that means, and I I think many of you understand it. It means that from the opening of any service, you should be able to tell exactly what should be next. It means that if you come into service and you're a choir director, you're a Sunday school teacher, that you should be right down front, that you should be praying and loving and showing people that you're the cream puffs of the church. If you're an elder or you're a deacon or you're a teacher or you're a helper, you should be the one that's shining, that's radiating with the trinity of God in your triunity. You should be the outstanding example of God Almighty that's living on earth today because you are representing him in an official capacity of fellowship. And you should be so occupied with prayer when prayer time comes and the extra things that go on in the body of the Lord Jesus that you can hardly wait to be consumed by the compassion of the Master. And you should be so intensely fellowshipping with the Father and Son and Spirit that you're sensitive to my spirit, that you're sensitive to our songs, that you're sensitive to the needs of others in our body. I was just thinking about this week. When the telephone would ring this week, and somebody called and said, My husband just beat up my 11-year-old daughter. He was drunk. He's probably in a ditch somewhere. And she's bleeding. And the lady said, Would you pray? Would you pray? You probably don't know me. Weep when they weep. I thought I knew her. I thought I knew her forever, and I felt very burdened for her. When we got this call that Randy and Ellen's little girl Rachel get into that accident and she's coming well now, the Holy Spirit was so sweet and precious as several of us visited. We could feel every need just like she was our flesh and blood and have ever since. 
when we received a call that Kyle was in the hospital. It's the same thing. Or Ruth Pease in the old age in the nursing home. It doesn't really make any difference. It's when the Holy Spirit brings God's life and God's compassion so controlling your mind that you are one with the Trinity and one in the need of those that have the need. And you begin to see yourself absolutely, totally one with them. And you weep when they weep. And you rejoice when they rejoice. That's the atmosphere of revival. That's the atmosphere of heaven. That's the atmosphere of compassion. That's the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit of God. An atmosphere of which God can move in his people and break them and melt them and do a lasting eternal work in their souls and system. I'm not occupied tonight with your faults. I'm not occupied tonight with your weaknesses. I'm not occupied tonight with somebody's mistakes. I'm not occupied tonight with the negatives of life, but I am occupied tonight with people's needs. I am occupied tonight with the burden that we have one for each other because we truly love each other, because we're truly concerned for each other, because each other has an eternal soul and each other has a deep need. And these needs are constituted by environment, by heredity, by the devil, by demons, by trials, by pressures, by domestic difficulties. And I am convinced tonight that hundreds and hundreds of people are dying to see God's people come to them in the fellowship of the Trinity, being one even as they are one, and communicating that oneness that they might believe through the word at that particular time in whatever their need of faith happens to be. Listen carefully tonight. God's hand is not shot, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot save and that it cannot hear. God's hand is not shot, Isaiah 59, 1. God's hand is not shot. I don't think that we are here tonight for any other reason than, first of all, to build each other up, and secondly, to be so filled with the fellowship of God that we can simply communicate Jesus Christ to a dying and sinful and weak world into a needy church. And I am overwhelmed tonight with this concept of God that he said, oh, that they could be one even as we are one, that they could love even as we love, that they could have peace even as we have peace, that they could have compassion even as we have compassion, that they could have a burden yoked up to me even as we have a burden. And Jesus said, just before I go back, Father, I do have a request. Listen, Father, I've finished my work. I've glorified thee on earth. And now I'm going to return to enjoy the glory that I had before the foundation of the world. But, Father, would you make them one? Would you make them one even as we are one? And would you give them that life that's perfect in its fellowship, in its unity, in its union, in its oneness, in its quality, and in its glorified beauty? And Jesus was praying, and I'm sure the Father said, Son, I would love to do that. I will do that if they'll only let me. If they'll let me with their free wills, yes, son, I'll do that. Anywhere they'll let me, 
I'll do it. We are ready. I'm not interested in teaching what you may call deeper life messages tonight. But I'm interested in sharing deeper life. Now listen carefully. If you came to be entertained tonight, then you'll be disappointed. But if you're real and you came to get in touch with God, you'll sense his presence. I would rather sense the holy presence of Jesus five minutes than to live 50 years without Jesus Christ. And I am convinced tonight that if God's people, which are called by his name, will truly humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and turn from their wicked ways. Then he said, I will hear from heaven. I will heal your land. And God says tonight, I do not ask a lot of you, but I do ask that you'll humble yourself. I do ask that you'll humble yourself about your time, about your hours, about your relationships, about your pride. I do ask that you'll humble yourselves in the sight of God, and I'll lift you up in James 4.10. I do ask that, and then I ask that you'll turn from anything that's wicked with my grace and with my power, and then I'll heal your particular land. And I'll cause the grace of God to be manifested, the Holy Spirit to be outpoured. And God only knows tonight we have enough revivals, but we need the Holy Spirit to be just poured out upon God's people. The Holy Spirit of God, we need it. We need it. We need it new and fresh, and we need it deeply with the intensity of God's Trinity. We need it tonight. And we need it. I think we've got some of the greatest people here in the world. I love you deeply. But I think we need a constant touch of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Listen carefully. Weep when they weep. And rejoice when they rejoice. Ruby Day said, and I shared it briefly with you last week, and then I closed. But Ruby Day, that little missionary that went to Africa, a very nice-appearing girl, lovely girl. And Ruby said, Pastor, how can I stay in America when there'll be souls that will never once hear the gospel? And I said, I guess you can't. I guess you cannot. And she went. Harriet said, how can I stay and be a school teacher in America when there's souls in 2,000 tribes that have never heard? And I said, I guess you can't. I guess you can't. Listen. Carol said, I've been through a lot. I've suffered sickness and almost physical death. But she said, Pastor fought God and as I've learned obedience I've suffered the rebellion of my own heart but she said on a Sunday night before she went to Brazil she said 
But every time I try to turn back from discipleship and from the mission field, there's an emptiness in my heart that no matter how much is before me in this convenient country, I do not thrill at it. Jesus has spoiled me. And unless I'm in the battlefield of soul winning and in the mission of bringing others to Jesus, I might as well die. I looked at her eyes because I knew she was a beautician and got saved a little later in life than most people. And God spoke to me so deeply that night as I looked at her recently before she went to the field. And I saw the purity of a changed life. And I remember counseling her in the early days that I met her when she used to come up from Portland and then Damascot to the noon meals in the old church. And then I looked in and saw the eyes that said, I'll never be the same again, Pastor. I've got to take the message to the 2,000 tribes. I'll not be the same. And she went. Listen. Weep when they weep and rejoice when they rejoice. Be of the same mind. Condescend to men of low estate. Be not high-minded. Be not high-minded. Father, I would that they would be one, even as we are one. In Jeremiah 13 and 17, the father is, is seen as weeping. And the word of God says that tears ran down his cheeks. And the father is seen as a weeping father. In Jeremiah 13, 17. In Luke 19 and 41. In John 11, 25. In Matthew 23, 37. The son is weeping over Jerusalem. Then weeping over his flock. And the son, Jesus Christ, is weeping, weeping having compassion. In Romans 8 and 26, the third member of the Trinity, which really isn't the third, he also is God in Acts 5 and 3, only the third to express the three. The third member of the Trinity is groaning with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Father, the tears run down his cheeks in Jeremiah 13, 17. The Son weeps and then in John 11, 35 and 6, he groans with a loud groaning. And in Romans 8, 26, the Holy Spirit groans with groanings which cannot be uttered in human phraseology. Yes, the Trinity has compassion. Oh, tonight the Trinity of God has compassion. The Trinity of God motivates compassion, constrains us by love. We're not occupied with the picky-to-uni things of our own domestic affairs. We're occupied with their vision, with their purpose and their love. And we begin to fellowship with them in the joy and in the peace and then in the compassion. And I'll tell you what tonight, it'll transform a choir director, it'll transform a preacher, it'll transform an assistant pastor, it'll transform the music director, it'll transform an elder, it'll transform a deacon, it'll transform somebody that sings Sunday morning in the choir, it'll transform a Sunday school teacher that goes before her kids and realizes that maybe in her class, Maybe through the potential of God, she can present her message with such a burden and such a love and such a simplicity and have a prayer that is so powerful with God that maybe, maybe in the next four years or eight years or ten years or twelve years, maybe somebody will go to Africa or, or across New England or across America 
in their class and motivates those in open air evangelism and those that participate in singing so that they realize maybe out there in that little crowd today as they minister Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, maybe there's a Billy Sunday, maybe there's a Billy Graham, maybe there's a somebody that's going to be faithful as a housewife when they get through with them with that message. It'll motivate that person in open air evangelism so they'll consider every day to be a thrill just to share Jesus It'll motivate that person in the nursing home in such a dynamic way that they'll realize maybe by the grace of God, maybe because they take Sunday afternoons, maybe when they go to heaven by the grace of God, somebody in the youth of perhaps 33 years of age will come to them that appeared to be that appeared to be senile or was retarded or at least just exhausted with life's plan. Maybe they'll meet many up there that will come up to them and embrace them and say, you came to a nursing home on a Sunday afternoon when it was 95 above. Oh, God, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. You had the fellowship of the Trinity in you, and they constrained you to come. Thank you. And they'll stay and thank you. Maybe it will motivate the quartet and the trios and the singers and the soloists so that when they go to heaven, somebody will come and say, you sung in the Spirit, you rehearsed in the Spirit, you acted in the Spirit, you reacted in the Spirit, you ministered in the Spirit, and you won me to Jesus, you won me to Jesus, you didn't know it, but you sung a song one night, and I just fell in love with Jesus. I don't think I was converted, and that night, Jesus came in. Thank you for learning the song. Thank you for rehearsing. Thank you for putting in the hours and thank you for singing it. I really appreciate it. And maybe they'll just want to hold on to you for hours in heaven. I do not know. But I know that that is probably going to happen over and over again. And I personally think that's going to be one of the great rewards of heaven. Thank you for tuning in. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com Philippians 3, starting in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And here, this identification with the righteousness of Christ and this distancing of ourselves from those things which mattered to us before, it's the pearl of great price that we would sell all to gain. Once we've tasted of the love of God, we see his enduring faithfulness, his kindness towards us, the personal way that he deals with us and with others that we see in the church and in the world. And yes, the world is a difficult place, and there's much going on in it to obscure who God is and what he's done. But when it's been revealed, and we begin to see the through the lens of eternal perspective, we have a desire to identify with God. 
and those other things become old. And there is often a struggle, the flesh against the spirit, and the old man, who we once were, and that nature that we carry with us until this body is redeemed, has wrong identifications, and it causes great conflict. The flesh wars against the spirit, does not want to be separated, does not want the cross, does not want the things of God. But we are not the flesh. And when we become persuaded that we are really this new person that God has made us to be, that in that new identity, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus overwhelms us. And that's, we put Christ before our face. We prioritize the things that will magnify Christ. And we begin to magnify Christ in our confession, in our lifestyle, and what we place priority on. Missions is amazing. And I loved the examples that were in that message of missionaries hearing a call, desiring to go out, seeing the riches that we have in our church and our assembly and desiring to go to another place and bring that same message that transformed the individual life and bring it to a new place. This is the heart of God. God identifies with those who are afar off. He leaves the 99 to go after that one sheep, that one who's gone astray, that one that's his. And likewise, he has that desire to go out and find those and compel them to come in to the dinner that his father has prepared. We see that kind of heart in people. We see that kind of heart in Christ. And though we may not see in our own lives how it would be possible for us, we identify with it. We identify and we agree that this is this is amazing. We let it convict us, change us, transform us. I know many people, myself included, who would say, how would I win a soul to Christ? Why would I go out on evangelism? Why would I go out on outreach? It's one thing to go and help people to drop off food and to send money to help others go. But I just don't think I have it in me to go. But then we begin to identify. We begin to identify. Maybe we've read missionary biographies. We've known people who've come to speak at our assembly. And we've heard their stories, the stories that broke our hearts. And we identify with these truths and we begin to ask God questions. God, would you do that in my life? Can I do these things? This high calling God. Would you build a capacity within me? And in identifying, it's amazing what happens, what God does in our lives. And it's very individual to our own particular calling. But yet, with God, all things are possible. (laughs) Could I be a Sunday school teacher? Yeah, yeah, God could do that. Do you think God could do that? God could do that. Could I be someone in my church who helps those single unwed mothers? Could I drive a bus? Amazing. Amazing what God can do. Could I be a coach for a soccer team? Could I help out in the Christian school? In ourselves, maybe we don't have that capacity. Maybe there's a desire, but there, we are detached in a way that God wants us to identify our call, wants us to seek him, 
the things that he would have us to do. And you know, it may surprise us what those things are. But when I get continuous exposure to godly people who are functioning in their call, not by works, but because grace has transformed them, because they have been illuminated in their minds to the real mystery of the gospel, which is that it is the grace of God, that it is God himself in us that does the work. It is not us striving to become something, to try to do something. The need does not justify the call, but it is us being a, uh, identifying with the scriptures and allowing ourselves to be in a place where we are in the body, in the mix, answering the call of the vision of the leader, the pastor of our local assembly. And when that vision is unfolded, then we step up and God amazingly reveals to us aspects of our own life that we had no idea was there. Capacities that he's put in us, that he would do through us, that we would do together as co-laborers with him, that we would never dream of on our, of our own, that we were not. But if we're out there identifying in the world with those things that are in the world, maybe we get connections out there. Maybe maybe there are earth, there are talents, there are natural gifts that God has put in us. And we mix it up and think that we should be out there doing those things because we've made an identification because of exposure. So why not dive into the church? Why not come and draw near, be involved, and identify with what God is doing in the local assembly? We may be shocked at how there is great transformation in our own lives when we identify who God has made us to be. We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www.graceinpublic.com. You may be listening to this program and you really have no idea who you are. You, you know what you've done. You know your history to a degree, relationships, jobs. But you don't really know who you are. And that's because we find out who we are when we are functioning in a life with God. And it's revealed to us who God has made us to be. Who God says we are is really who we are. And that can become real to you and you can find out who God has made you to be. But the very first thing is to receive Christ as your Savior now. If you've not done that before, the scriptures are very clear. You must be born again. God must put in you a new identity, a clean start. And he'll do that. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose from the grave 2,000 years ago. And he did that to pay for the sins of the whole world. But also, that whole world includes you, your life, your failures, your shortcomings your weaknesses. He took them all upon himself and he would trade that and give you a new identity. Righteousness that can only come from above. When he was raised from the dead and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father, he won for you a salvation. And it can become your possession when you mix faith with what he's done. 
Would you pray a prayer with me? Father, I believe in your Son. I invest my faith right now. I'm asking you to come into my life, transform me. I identify with what he's done on the cross. And I pray that you would put it on my account. Make it real to me. Make the scriptures alive. Lead me to a local assembly, I pray. Help me to grow in my new life. I pray asking these things in the matchless name of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.